You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you that you'll want to listen on to find out what she has to say about who's really writing the property news headlines and some hacks for you to verify the data. I think that's where a reader needs to really use their due diligence like you would when you're actually buying a home, you use that that expression. They need to look at where they're reading this information. Maybe it's somebody's blog, and like Chris, you were saying, somebody's going to have a reason for discussing something um, if they are writing it on their blog. And, and that's where I think you need to look at where, where am I reading this? And what's interesting is that now millennials are, are getting most of their news information from places like Facebook, from social media. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started... Everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Kirsten Craze, a freelance property writer with over 15 years experience working on mainstream titles in both London and Sydney. She spent a decade working at News Corp on the Daily Telegraph, Sunday Telegraph, news.com.au and realestate.com.au and the group's suburban titles, including the Wentworth Courier, where she got to nosy around in some of the country's priciest homes. Now, today, Kirsten writes for a variety of publications and is always on the lookout for interesting stories in the ever-changing world of bricks and mortar. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Kirsten. Thanks for making the big trip here as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I do live um, nearby, so it's a nice nice uh, walk. <laughs> um, so we haven't had any journalists on here yet and, um, you know, we're very excited. Um, we're usually the opposite, <laughs> sometimes getting interviewed by them. So why do you think people love in particular property content so much? I, I think it feeds into the Australian dream of, of owning something of your own. Uh, what's interesting, I think, is in Australia and particularly in Sydney, uh, real estate's become a bit of a sport and you it's the thing, I don't know if it's because of the line of work I do, but even when I don't mention what I do when I go to a dinner party or some kind of event, inevitably this conversation will come around to property. Yeah. Someone's renovating, someone's buying, someone's looking, someone's renting, someone wants to invest and suddenly uh, everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. And I mm. think that feeds through <laughs> to the media. The media sort of realises that. Um, there's a hunger for it. And so also the media has become a 24-hour machine. Mm-hmm. There's just always more need for content and it works well. It gets clicks. I mean, when you say sport, it's probably a good analogy actually because sport is either someone winning or there's someone losing. Yes. And mm. so you're always playing for, oh, people are winning or people are losing and you're kind of playing to and fro. You know, you're always reporting on who's winning, who's losing. Yeah, definitely when there's numbers involved, there are winners and losers. Yeah. People, and, and people kind of want to big themselves up a bit. You know, and sometimes you wonder, did you really make that much money or is that what you're sort of saying at the barbecue? You know, this is not something that I've ever read that you've written, but there is one property writer that, sort of a gossipy writer, if you like, 
who always refer, you know, refers to sales and so and so. Some, you know, some famous person sold a property. You know, they bought it ten years ago and they made one hundred and twenty thousand. Not a bad gain, or or, or whatever it is, whatever sure. the comment. And it's like quite often I think to myself, you know what? If you actually thought about what you're writing, you'd actually realize I made a loss. Yeah. And yet they talk about the gain as being just the the gross profit. Mm. It's, oh, anyway, yeah. it's just my head in. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of writing. I don't know how much they spent on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. You've, you've got to write for your audience. So you've yes. kind of got to feed the beast a little bit. So, it's definitely feeding you know, the beast. Like, yeah. You can't be too opinionated on things. You've kind of just a lot of property. You've just got to kind of give them the stuff that's going to kick off their endorphins and make them feel good sometimes. Are you, are you, do you yeah. with property a lot? Yeah, I think what's interesting with property writing is that there's a few different types. You've got the gossip type stuff and, you know, that does well, the celebrities buying and selling mm. and this house is $70 million and it's got a bath made of gold or, or whatever it is <laughs> and people love that. Then you've got the market-driven stuff, mm -hmm. the statistics and the data that it suits another audience. Mm. And I suppose the gossipy kind of colourful stuff interests a lot of people, whether they're in the market or not, for buying. The more market-driven stuff, I guess, is going to appeal to people who are currently looking. I guess we call them active buyers. Mm. And um, people who want to be want to invest or they think they're going to invest soon or, or they just kind of want to know, want to educate themselves. So I think when it comes to property writing, it's a real huge sphere. You said there were three types. Oh, did I? Yes. Did you say three? Well, yeah, I'm imagining the, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, gossipy, gossipy things. The market. And then I think there's probably just sort of what's happening in, in your area. I suppose it breaks down to a more suburban level. Like this is what's happening in the east. This is what's happening or just in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane. Mm. And, and it's more the sort market of. market activity. More market activity rather than the big data stuff. What mm. do you specialise in? Um. I think I do a, a bit of everything because I do go to multi-million dollar homes and I open the medicine cabinets and look in the shoe cupboards. What's in there? <laughs> oh, a lot of expensive stuff. <laughs> do they keep all their boxes? <laughs> the shoe boxes? Yeah. yeah, look, I mean, you can tell the type of owner because sometimes the boxes are just as um, beautifully displayed as the Jimmy Choo's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I also write about the, the market movements as well and kind of get big, scary um, spreadsheets from um, data companies and just try and work out where's the story, what's happened this month. Yeah. Mm. You said there very early on that um, the reason why, you know, at the barbecue, everyone's got an opinion. Yes. And then you linked that back into the media and said because they read about it or they learn about it. Sure. How big do you think that link is? Do you think that, you know, that the media is almost like controlling the market? Well, it's interesting you say that because I've, for a while I did the Saturday auction round in Sydney. So I was darting through Saturday morning traffic, which is amazing in Sydney. <laughs> um, that's why I have a Vespa, so that helps. Um, you dart around to the different areas and talk to people and I would have some auctioneers and agents that say, oh, gosh, no one's here because on the day before so-and-so wrote an article that market's down or interest rates are about to go up and blaming me and, and <laughs> the whole media landscape for what happened. And, yeah. you know, do, do really, do people who are ready and have gone through a whole month of, of no. working out that this is the house for them, are they going to suddenly not turn up because the Australian said something about um, a, a study that suggested mm. there could be a movement in prices? I mean, really? But but then at the same the time, no one's there is they haven't 
you know, done a great campaign and maybe uh, not. made enough phone calls maybe and follow-ups. But, but I suppose if the Reserve Bank does give a hint that interest rates are going to go up, for example, mm. and, and people read about that, then maybe some people are a bit turned off. Mm. But it's not necessarily, I guess the media is just sort of a mouthpiece there. Um, but I'm sure it does affect because you do hear, hear people. I've had people quote a story to me and I say, oh, well, I wrote that. So, mm. yeah, I had heard that before. So, um, <laughs> so people do, do, they do listen, and, and, mm. but I'm not sure, you know, what a, a serious buyer is going to look at the stories but also do their own homework. A clever buyer, a savvy buyer will, will take, the me- take the media on one hand but then do their own research as well. So who's determining the storylines? Um, it can be the journalist themselves or it can be an editor. Yeah. So is there, like, you know, in your editorial meetings, is there like a theme? We're, we, we're going the juggler on clearance rates or we're going for the juggler on, you know, interest rates or? Yeah, well, I'm no longer in newsrooms, but at the time when I was there. That's would, why I'm asking you, Blake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hoping you'll spill the beans. Well, no, definitely if in meetings there will be, oh, we're going to do something on negative gearing because, um, you know, the budget's coming up or the budget's just been. And there will be themes and it's based around, I guess, the political climate sometimes. Um, I know when I used to get back into the news desk after going around the auctions, one editor would say to me, has it turned yet? Is it going down? Was it a buyer's market yet? What's, when's it happened? You know, for weeks and weeks, he'd be saying, is it, is it, do you reckon it's, it's a time? Is it time? Is it turned? So, um, yeah, there's definitely stories that, you know, they want to tell in, in yeah. a certain way. Um, yeah. I mean, that came out last week. It, it, it was Sydney's a renter's market. And I'm like, really? I think there's all mm. the, I don't think that people can just rush out and rent amazing properties without any competition and rents have dropped no, dramatically, yeah. um, you know, but it's a great headline, right? Yeah. And, you know, that when that spread around and everyone's now believing that Sydney's now a renter's market, you know, mm. because someone's written an article on it. And, 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 and I guess how many people actually read the article too? It's just they read the headline we'll read and go, the headline, that's, that's yeah. enough for me. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> that that would be probably one of the most important parts of, of um, using media for your property advice is to read beyond the headlines because a lot of the time the journalist who's writing the story, the one who's read all the data that has looked into it, that has spoken to the experts, they're not the ones writing the headline. Mm. And so Ah. sometimes I've been surprised at a headline that's come up and I've even gone to um, the powers that be and say, this does not indicate what's actually happening and had to have a headline sort of slightly changed. False or, advertising. Yeah, or sometimes Big maybe break. someone is just misconstrued, I suppose, and when you are the one who's living and breathing property, you you realise that the person who's a grammar expert or the person writing the headlines is not sort of in this deep and maybe has not. And maybe that sometimes is the journalist who hasn't even. But the headlines absolute. matter so much though, they don't matter they? matter so much. I mean, that's something we... Well, we have Veronica's taking care of in our podcast, doing the headlines. Um, but I know that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real mind game to try to figure out what to, what to write. What's going to make people, people to... listen? What's going to encapsulate yeah. well, everything that's in the article? I've actually written down a few headlines that I've read just in the last week or two. Oh, go. go. And I think what's interesting is, you know, how you will read them. So I've got, so here's a few. Uh, Australian property prices will get worse as a mini credit crunch takes hold. Mm. Okay. So that's a bit negative 
fear. Yeah, that's yes. a bit of fear. Mm. Then we've got Sydney and Melbourne property markets won't crash in 2018. Positive, right? Yeah. <laughs> same paper? Uh, no, this is a oh. mix of publications, but all within the same yeah, week yeah. or two. Same yeah, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we've got Sydney housing market poised to languish until 2021. Mm-hmm. Okay. Languish, great word. Yeah, that's a bit negative. Then we've got there are signs that Sydney's ice cold housing market may be beginning to thaw. That's getting Positive. a bit better, isn't it? <laughs> and then Sydney housing downturn likely to last until 2020. Well, it was 2021 a minute ago. <laughs> but, and then three things slowing Sydney's property market and why it won't collapse. Yeah. So <sighs> these, the, it's, so, it's so hard. Mm. If you don't know, if you don't read beyond the headline and you don't understand uh, what you're reading or, or sort of take the time to deconstruct the, the data that's involved, and often some of these are using the same data set, yes. the same report. Yeah, that's right. So they're. Picking, picking mm. pieces out and if you really concentrate on the article or if it's an online story, there'll often be the report hyperlinked mm. so you can click in and have a look for yourself and yeah. take away your own information. That's a great tip and, and I use that myself actually when I'm researching. I want to find out where that journalist got that information yeah, from. Yeah, that's right. And it's, that's actually how the <laughs> My favourite report is, is CoreLogic's Pain and Gain report. I've got yes. lots, of, lots of reports I really That's like. That's given me a lot of pain and gain before. over yeah. the years too, having to decipher that thing. <laughs> but I love the report. It's good. And yeah. and that's how I discovered it in the, in the first place, some ages ago now. It was purely yes. through a hyperlink in, in an article. So there's a lot of good in that. That's a great tip for buyers. Yeah. And I think too, um, I think what's interesting in those headlines is it says Australian property markets mm. doing this, Sydney yep. or Melbourne is doing this. Mm. And I think that's something that I find fascinating that people still believe in this day and age. And every time I get in a taxi or an Uber, should sound a bit more yep. modern, shouldn't I? Um, is someone, when I, they ask me what I do and, and I say, they say, oh, well, what's happening with the Sydney market then? <laughs> and I say, well, which one? Yeah. yeah. Because maybe 10, 15 years ago when I started writing about property, they talked about a two-tier market. There was Mm. Sydney Mm. and then there was the western suburbs. But now, I don't know, you'd agree with me, Veronica, that there are, yeah, hundreds if not thousands. Absolutely. And even in the same suburb, you can have different markets. Absolutely. Well, we spoke about that back in episode 16 with Luke Metcalf. Have you ever come across Luke? Uh, yes, so, yes. Yeah, so he's created the microburb site and great, great episode. You know, in mm-hmm. the mind of a yes. data miner. Wouldn't you like to get inside that <laughs> brain? Incredible. We did for an Just hour. For a so, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and when I first met Luke some years ago, that was a revelation, you know, that somebody else was talking about microburbs or we put a word on it. He called yes. it something and, and it, he'd actually been slicing and dicing the data in order to be able to look at these microburbs. And it's very true within one suburb, you've got multiple markets. Look, I've come across situations where you've got different things happening in the same street. Yes. There's a good example in Dover Heights in Sydney's east, very fancy suburb mm. um, with some price, um, very high prices. You can have one to $2 million price difference between one side of the street and the other because mm. one side looks at some houses. Yeah. The other side Sydney. has harbour. Yes, mm. it has all the postcard yeah. views of Sydney yeah. mm. and some of the homes that are quite high. Mm. The other side, they get ocean views. Yeah. Yeah. So suddenly you've got the same street mm. and a from one across the road to the other side of the road, very different. Well, you get and so that. how does the median in that suburb, you exactly, know, the average, yeah. and how does that vary? And, mm. 
you know, and in comparing apples and apples and yes. actually getting out and looking at the price of, you know, that's the thing with property though. A lot of people, you know, become experts at a suburb without even being there, you know? Yeah. And so mm. they, unless they've been to Dover Heights and I've lived there, you know, it's, it's completely different yeah. living on the left side to the right uh -huh. side. Sure. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent right. Well, yeah. We interviewed Georgie Bates um, and she works at Cunningham. So, and she's a Fairlight specialist and she was talking about the properties that are South facing with the amazing views versus the ones that are North facing and much more family friendly because they're on level, more level blocks and, and the trade-off of that. And, you know, buyers sort of coming in from outside the area may not realise how exposed they are to the southerly busters. Yes. You know, but they're buying the, the multi-million dollar views and all excited about that, but the pain and the inconvenience of actually having to suffer that when the wind's blowing, yeah. um, you know, mm. does that does that weigh up and does that make the view worthwhile? And I guess locals and local knowledge gives you that idea. Yeah. Yeah, I, think I, mean, I want important. to go back to more journalism and <laughs> Sorry, um, bang on about houses again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, around, so I'll write, I produce quite a bit of content yes. on LinkedIn and I'll post something and you either got people who believe in, you know, what I write and then there's people who yes. want to take it down and yes. destroy it. That's why you do it though, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, well, it's, it's always good to get polarizing <laughs> views. Um, but the people who kind of want to drag it down, firstly, they go, oh, he's biased. He's a mortgage broker. Sure. And so he's only going to be thinking about, you know, his interests and he wants the property market to keep going up and things like that. Yes. Even though sometimes I'm saying things that are the contrary and talking down parts of the market, how do you deal with, in, as a journalist, how do you deal with writing things that, you know, might not suit the organisation that you work for? So like News Corp as an example or have paid advertisements and they have a story that, you know, if, if for example, they read an article that is almost talking negative around what they're selling, yes. are they going to keep advertising? So is that something that really does happen? And is Well, it interesting, you should say, recently I was at a writer's festival and it was just sort of for writers, nothing to do with real estate or particularly journalism, but they did have a, um, a talk around fake news. Mm. So they had a panel of people. Um, Peter Grester was actually there and they were talking about fake news and they covered things like obviously Trump and politics and terrorism. And, and then one of the panellists just piped up and said, oh, you know what really gets my goat? Real estate journalism. And I thought, <laughs> hang on a minute, where am I? I thought I was on this like highbrow political um, talk about uh, fake news and suddenly I'm under attack. <laughs> like you said, it doesn't matter where you go, real yeah, estate. It gets, comes around all comes the up. time. Yeah, so um, anyway, he said, oh, listen, you know, don't believe anything you ever read about property in a in a newspaper because 99%, and that's the figure he used, 99% of what you read is all fake news. They just want to talk up the agents. They want to talk up the, the, the market because they're going to get advertising dollars because, you know, the back of the paper is full of classifieds and it's all advertising dollars. And I thought, well, mate, you're showing your age. Who sees yeah. classifieds <laughs> in newspapers anymore? And irony. <laughs> irony. Irony as well. You know, yeah. somebody quoting a made-up figure to accuse somebody <laughs> else of fake news. Maybe he researched that data. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. And so the thing is that um, that sort of um, mentality, m maybe there was something in that um, a, a while ago, a decade or two ago, because mm -hmm. you did have papers that had pages and pages of house advertising mm -hmm. in the back. And um, I'm not going to say that 
agents don't spend a lot, they can spend ten, fifteen thousand dollars on a campaign advertising for a property. Um, but on the same token, you can't really. Um, there's no way in today, like we've just talked about data, there's no way that you can big up something that's not happening. Yeah. So a, a newspaper maybe a while ago, I wasn't around in those times when maybe um, there wasn't the internet to back, back things up. But for example, on a Saturday, you've got an auction clearance rate and think of that what you will. I know people have um, yep. mixed emotions on, on what clearance rates are, but a newspaper can't turn around on the Sunday and say, wow, business is booming, the market's up because they want to big up real estate agent or, or a certain market when a reader can just look on Twitter or, or Instagram mm. and see that an auctioneer or, or an agent has quoted that the market, that the clearance rate was 50% or or. Or, or, or what have you. There's well, you can, but the, the journalist is not going to get respect or not going to get, you know, more following and more people liking their stuff, mm. I guess, because, I mean, that's the... Well, I guess the, the publication's got... You're losing credibility yeah, if you yeah. very quickly, you know, I'm not going to... Every time I flip over in the Daily Telegraph, for example, I yes. get articles that I don't agree with. I'm not going to keep reading it, am I? Well, it's just blatantly incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's where a reader has to make sure that what they're reading has data in it to back up what they're saying mm. you know otherwise it's an opinion piece and if it's an opinion piece it needs to be labeled as such mm. well yes and i guess doing a if you're going to really take the article on board is kind of cross-referencing who is actually getting interviewed who do they work for what are their interests you know it's very easy to see that you know sometimes developers will be the ones getting interviewed and they're talking about how amazing their supply and demand is and etc um but then it's, you know, how does it say, you're going to say that because you're a developer. You know what yeah. I mean? Of, of course. There's, there's always going to be people who are tooting their own horn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, I've had times where agents have said to me, oh, oh, the, we've got to stop talking about how great the market is. It's too hot. My, my, um, my vendors think that the house is going to sell itself. They don't want to spend money on advertising and they don't want to do this <laughs> and they think they don't need to have extra opens because they think it's a done deal. So mm. talking mm. something up doesn't necessarily help the agents. So yeah. there's all these conspiracy theorists around everywhere, aren't yeah. they? They go, oh, it's the you know, it's the media that's completely in control. And look, obviously the media has some sense, some impact. Otherwise, Definitely. you wouldn't have media control laws in the yes. country. So you know, it's a powerful media partner. <laughs> yes, powerful media. Um, but journalists. Also, and I think in this day and age, right, I write a blog, right, yes. and I also write for some publications, yes. uh, but I'm not a journalist. Now, yes. I'm an expert. I'm a subject matter expert. And you as a journalist are governed by a code of conduct, correct? Yes. That I'm not governed by as a sure. subject matter expert. Sure. Now, you know, I have a certain personal ethic that I, you know, that's my compass and there is so much content out there at the moment and it's all muddied because I've written some pieces for News Corp, you know, over the yes. years. And, and I've interviewed you for those publications. Have. Yeah, but yes. and other times I've actually written pieces under my sure. name as well and not just News Corp but Fairfax and, and, and others. And the reader doesn't necessarily realise that I'm governed by something different to you though, do they? No, and I think that's where a reader needs to really use their due diligence like you would when you're <laughs> actually buying a home, you use that, that expression. They need to 
look at where they're reading this information. Maybe it's somebody's blog. And like Mm -hmm. Chris, you were saying, somebody's going to have a reason for discussing something Mm. um, if they are writing it on their blog. And and that's where I think you need to look at where, where am I reading this? And what's interesting is that now millennials are, are getting most of their news information from places like Facebook, from social media. So they're not going directly to X publication to find out what's happening in the property market. It's kind of falling in their lap mm. a lot of the time. And we might say, oh, millennials, um, they're, they're just kids. But actually, you know what? Millennials are 22 to 37 years old. They're prime property buyers and sellers now. Mm-hmm. They're parents mm. and they're not kids anymore. Uh, but they're getting their, getting a lot of their information via social media streams. And if they're not following clever publications or trusted public publications, they might be getting their, their um, investment, financial, mm. property um, information from somewhere else. Now, some of these websites are great for if you want to know what happened on Love Island last night or you want to know which Kardashian sister best matches your character, but it's not where you should be going to get your best investment advice. <laughs> I mean, that's really good. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's always about picking who to follow, who do you, and yeah. trying to get that diverse as well because, you know, it's very easy just to start following people that all just agree with you and you just become... You know, well, that is the danger of social media, isn't it? Yeah. That you do end up just having a feed full of like-minded yeah, echo chamber op- opinions. Yeah. Yeah. We're all guilty of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, <laughs> you, and then you miss stuff. That, yeah, you so, do. So, I mean, my advice would be that if you are sort of, especially to first-home buyers who might think, oh, where do I even start, mm. is to work out which publications have got some great information and follow them on your social media feeds so that, when they do have interesting things pop up, you get that information. Mm. Yes. That yeah, I mean, all the one. big the big news.com.au and realist and domain and things yes. like that, they're, are they, you know, they're going more and more down this content? Like I feel like they're becoming like writing blogs around what colour should you put your tiles in your bathroom and, you know, it just keeps on. Like, yeah. It's like this- well, those publications, those media Outlets have always had, whether it be Domain, um, Lift Out on the weekend or the Daily Telegraph's home magazine, they've even before the internet, they've had mm-hmm. Lift Outs on the weekend to tell you what colour cushions you should have this season. So that's always been around, um, even in the print days. So, But it is sort of kind of merging now to have that sort of stuff on websites that maybe are mostly devoted to real estate, they're now starting to have more lifestyle stories as well. Why did you choose property or how did you choose property? Um, I don't know. I, I, I just sort of fell into it. I was doing lifestyle, general lifestyle things. And then um, uh, it just came that there were more and more stories uh, doing property. In London, I, I worked for a property publication for a while. And when I came back to Australia, because I'd had that bit of experience um, and Oh, I think even at the time there were barely property writers as such. There were just sort of writers who wrote a bit about that house for sale. Um, but it has become in the last decade or so a bit of a specialty field. Mm, yeah. yeah. And so what have you had to learn? Um, what I've had to learn, I, I think what's interesting is that people might think of me as, well, you've been writing about real estate for so long, so you must be an expert. But I don't know if I'm an expert in real estate, but I'm an expert in finding out who is 
yep. an expert and talking to them. Mm. So that's why, like, if I want to find out what buyers are doing, maybe I'll call Veronica Morgan and find out <laughs> what a buyer's yeah. agent's uh, opinion is on that or I'll call mm. an auctioneer and say, well, can you break down what, what do those clearance rates actually mean? Mm. And, and so that's what I suppose a good journalist is doing is not yep. giving their own opinion but finding the right person. I didn't know about anything about property before I started but I, you know, you ask the questions of the people that um, do know um, and, and that's how you you can give your readers the best advice. How, how do you um, determine or what sort of antenna have you got on how do you get the antenna active to work out who's feeding you crap versus, oh, this person really knows this stuff, this is gold? Because I imagine you've got a lot of spin doctors that, that you interview. Yeah, look, I think there's some, um, I, th I think you do have to, like when we were talking about the, the blogs, you have to work out what, what are they doing where do they make their money? How do they make their money? And so what, um, what's their ulterior motive? Mm. You know, sometimes you will get stuff uh, pushed down your throat via PR companies oh, yeah. mm. and they will, they will spruik a, a, a person and say, oh, we've got this, this great person's going to tell you where all the hotspots are and, and you get the press releases. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose a journalist that is under the pump or doesn't, want to look any further for whatever reason or can't, might just, okay, well, I'll rewrite this press release. These are the, these are the best hotspots right now. I just watched Media Watch on Monday nights on ABC. Yeah. Oh, it's full of stories like that. Well, that's right because the newspaper, <laughs> you've got it, and it's a pressure of, I've got a mate who's a journalist and, you know, in financial advice, whenever he was running a bit, you know, hungry, yeah. um, you pick up the phone to me, call me and say, Chris, I've got to get something in for three o'clock. I haven't written anything. Yeah. You know, tell me something. And then we basically almost formulate an article in 15 minutes over mm -hmm. the phone. He wouldn't always use me as the, like the person. Yeah. He calls some other people. But I mean, that's sometimes the pressure with a lot of stuff. It's just filling spaces, a lot of journalism. Yeah. Well, I think you, when you're a journalist and someone's got a, a study or a, a report and they've got a PR company pushing it at you. That I guess that is the easy route to take, but you've got to mm. wonder why are they selling a book or mm. what are they yeah. doing? And and I think what's important is to to look, especially these studies that say, I don't know, sixty four percent of Australians want a bathtub or mm. or something. You think, okay, well, how many people did you interview? Yeah, <laughs> and you look in the fine print, and sometimes it's not there, so you have yep. to ask the PR company, mm. and often it's a nineteen year old that go, oh, I don't know, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and you find out that they've interviewed 263 people, well, then that's not 64. It's that's not, not representative 60, of That's of not 64% yeah. of Australians. So, mm. so yeah, I, I think a journalist just needs to ask the question, why is this coming at me? Mm -hmm. uh, but you know what? Uh, journalists should probably be going out and saying, okay, well, I, I want to write a story about this. Who is the person in the field who knows their stuff mm. and go to them? Rather than wait for them to come to them because when they're coming to you, they probably have an agenda. We've got an angle. Yeah. yeah. As a freelancer, do you find that you've got more um, flexibility to do that, to sort of pick your topics and then you go and pitch that article to your your clients or, or is it the other way around? They come to you and say, look, we need some, some stories on these it's, topics. It's both. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes I'll come up with an idea. I might listen to an interesting property podcast oh. <laughs> and think, oh, that's an interesting angle. Um, or someone will say to me, we need something written about 
this. And so there are parts of work that I do that are for mainstream media, but then there's other things that I do as a freelancer for internal publications. So it will be about their own developments mm. and things like that. Yep. And so that's, I guess, where you're a bit more of a writer and not so much the journalist, if you want to pick at terms. Yeah. 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 Okay. So writing what's going to be great for that article, that development, rather than reporting more kind of independently on the world. Yeah. So if you've been hired by someone and it's for the developer's magazine yep. that they that they produce, and a lot of them do produce their own glossy, much glossier than the mainstream media can afford. They yep. do. Yep. Do you put your name on those articles, or is that uh, sort of Sometimes I do, them. sometimes I sometimes I don't. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, at the end of the day, you're probably just giving quite factual information around it. You're yeah. not saying you should buy this beautiful off the planet apartment. No, it's you know. it's often like, um, <laughs> for example, I've done some work with the Can- Canberra company, and um, a lot of it is even even would cross into a bit of tourism yeah. um, journalism, where mm. I'm talking about why Canberra is um, is named number three. Um, in the world, oh, yeah, cities to planet. visit by Lonely Planet. <laughs> Behind Detroit, interestingly <laughs> enough, which is broke. Uh, yeah. Detroit was number one. Yeah, but, yeah. Why, <laughs> we're off topic slightly, but yeah, do you know what that, I mean. Like I'm it would, it's 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 uh, journalism that talks yeah. about why somewhere maybe like Canberra or Hobart, why that's booming at the moment. Mm. So why is it booming? It's because of the cafe culture, or it's because of you know the hipsters have discovered mm. it, or, yeah. or what what have you. And that's where you go away from the dry. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say dry, but the specific data, mm, yeah. um, journalism, and you go into a bit more of lifestyle. And, you know, the two go hand in hand because people yeah. want a suburb because of the lifestyle exactly. it has. So you can't sort of pull it apart. No, you yeah. can't separate them too much. It's a really, uh, it's a, because property marketing is a whole new profession, like property yes. journalism, <laughs> et cetera. And, Styling, you know, oh my goodness. Mm. Well, that's it. That's another new There's profession. an industry of property styling now. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think they're amazing, to be honest. Like if oh, yeah. You, you are, you're crazy to, if you've got a beautiful place and your furniture's a bit uh, daggy, you know, you're probably best to get rid of that and get a stylist in and, and get the emotion going. Or, or have it empty. I can't believe that oh. I go on, um, I'm a bit obsessed with New York real estate, and so you've got $30 million American dollar houses or um uh, apartments and they're empty. Mm. Like great parquet flooring, but but well, it's thirty million dollar house. Why haven't you put anything in it? Quite bizarre, isn't it? And and it's you know, certainly when I first started in real estate, we used to talk about oh, if we had a listing that was good enough to style, you know, yeah. it was only the mm. top top listings, and it's like oh wow. But even studio and, apartments are styled yeah. now. Australia is really specific in that. I think a lot of other mm, countries don't do really. that, but even studio apartments are now styled. And I remember asking. Just with a bed, <laughs> a lamp and a bit of a and and a, and a one of those scrunchy um, throw rugs on the end of the bed. It has to be all messy, you know. Yeah. Certain designer messy the linen look. But this isn't just in Sydney. So I've got a uh, good good close friend. His wife's a stylist. Yes, in Orange. Okay, and she is flat check. She's now she's in the last wow. really, and she has got to be warehouse now, and she and all the real estate agents push her and. You know, and this is orange, right? And so oh, wow. this is yeah. this is it's not It'd be just lucrative because little... they're big houses. It costs a lot more to style a big house than yeah, a well, because you pay by room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but coming back to the studio, I remember asking the stylist, "But why? It's thirty-five square meters." And they say people don't have imagination. No, they don't. They don't see. They they mm. sit in a box, and things yeah. will. You would think something would look bigger when there's not furniture no, in don't. it, but it's the other way around. Mm. And so if they can't see, well, how would I fit my bed and 
a little table to have my breakfast on. So they have to be told. Mm. And it's funny, you would think people would would be able to to use their imagination, but most people can't. Look, we've had this conversation with a couple of agents about what happens at the pre-settlement inspection. So someone bought the property, they bought the dream, they bought the whole lifestyle, imagined themselves living in this beautifully styled property, and then they go back six weeks later for the pre-settlement inspection. It's empty. All the the trimmings are gone. It's a bit depressing. They thought they were buying that couch. Oh, yeah, because they haven't disassociated it in their own mind. They haven't really, really consciously thought that that isn't there. You know, and this is the elephant. You know, we talk about the elephant in the room, of talking about the, yes. the big things nobody talks about, but the elephant being the subconscious mind that drives us most of the time without us really even being aware of it. And this is a classic uh, case of how the emotional response to a filled and styled room and buyers need to be able to, to you know, disassemble that yes. in order to be very clear about what they're buying. I mean, okay. that happens not just with new old property, that's also new. Mm. I mean, the renders and how oh, beautiful yes. these new developments look and the lighting, you know, reflecting off the beautiful glass yeah. and, you know, the people all walking past and the beautiful cars. It's not what it's going to look like no. in 2024. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've got an interesting um, anecdote about that, the styling, because I remember years ago there was a development, and I forget which one, uh, in Bondi Beach brand new, and they'd styled a few rooms, but it was a big development, um, and the agent had said to me, well, we only styled a few because they're very similar. A lot of the, the apartments are very similar. But they said they kept selling the ones that were styled, mm. and then they would have mm. another person come through and go, I'll take that one. And they say, well, oh, this one's actually sold, but I'll take you upstairs. This one's similar or downstairs. And they said, no, 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 I, wa- I want that one. And then so at night time, They'd shift the furniture. They'd shift yeah. the furniture and then people would be like, oh, I'll have that one. And they had to keep moving the furniture from room to room at night because people just couldn't, they didn't want to buy the empty one. Wow. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And they really that. were buying the empty one because when they go and yeah. take the keys, it's empty. <laughs> boy, yeah. oh boy. So the same yeah. view, the same mm. same floor plan, very similar. But couldn't. But wanted the one with the furniture in it, but knowing, intelligently, I'm sure, knowing that furniture wasn't coming with it. You know, in episode one, we interviewed Simon Russell, behavioural scientist, and yes. he talked about a number of biases that we are all influenced by and even knowingly, like when the, some of the yeah. the um, uh, exercises that they do or the experience that they do, the behavioural scientists do to prove their theories, and even though the audience often know that they're being manipulated <laughs> They still knowingly, you know, respond in certain ways, sure. and it's that—that's a classic example. Even knowing is not enough. Yeah. You know, even knowing that I've got confirmation bias or I'm overconfident sure. mm. still doesn't give you the tools or the ability to stop that. The happening. Strength. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's a whole advertising industry based on that. Yeah. We all know we're being sold to, but you think, oh wow, <laughs> suck it up, lap yep. it up. <laughs> and I mean that's a little bit with media as well. You know, we 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 even if we don't. Know that we know that we probably shouldn't be reading it, or it's not great, or it's not great content. We still take it in, and it still affects us, and we still, you know, at some point. So that's why we've got to be so careful about you know who you do read and who you follow and things sure. like that. Mm. In the property world, as someone who's experienced at knowing what good writing is and things like that, who are some of the people that you think you know really are amazing? As actual writers, writers or other journalists? Oh, I don't know. You've put me on the spot there. Um, 
<laughs> Go, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, Chris, while know. you think about that, Chris. Yeah. So, Chris, in the mortgage broking world, what other mortgage brokers do you think are really good? Uh, yes, I'll give you a few. Oh, oh good on you. Um, no, because I do actually, mm. I do actually think there's a few. I mean, there's yeah. Stuart Wines in in Melbourne. He's like brilliant. Like, yes. Um, you know, he's he's his he's, philosophies. He's written that book, Investology. Investology. Yeah. You know, he's he's a legend. You know, there's um, you know, there's a lot of like there's some at First Street, Jamie Jeremy Fisher. There's like there's lots of um people that I would whether they write or not, they're probably just more on a professional level, but mm. um. Yeah, I think you, there's definitely always people in your industry that you respect. Um, I but, don't, I don't know if I can answer that one because they're either competitors or, yeah, or or people. I'll miss someone out. I don't think I can answer that. Okay, no, that's yeah. fine. Sorry, we'll we don't want to offend out. anybody by missing them out. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't, and we yeah, don't want like to give them. You're telling me to give an Oscar speech and Are I'll we... forget my mum or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me that. And I, well, there's always the first on the elephant. That was the first time. Refused to No we, comment. We <laughs> might even leave this in the cart only because we're getting more familiar with our audience. I hope you, audience, you you are enjoying this. A slight awkwardness inside uh, inside the studio. It's better I name no one than I forget someone. Yeah, yeah good point. Now, back to your auction days, you know, chasing around in the Vespa, yeah. getting to auctions. Um, you know, when I was a sales agent, I remember um, – you know, when we knew that we had a really cracker of an auction, we'd yes. be right onto the papers and, and hoping that sure. somebody would turn up with their big camera and um, their journal with their little pad of paper. Yes. And as a buyer's agent, when I turn up at an auction and I see the journal there, I think, oh, see bloody me. hell. Yeah. <laughs> that means that the agent obviously thinks this one's a cracker. Sure. So he gird, you know, gird the loins for, uh, for yes. battle. Not that that happens so much more these days. No. Um, and, in fact, I was talking to Sky News real estate team the other day because often I get on there on Saturdays yes. and love to, to debrief the auctions that are online there. And, and you know, they're finding it hard now to get agents to actually want to have their auctions televised because, obviously, yes. with clearance rates falling, there's less hot auctions out there. Yeah. But what, um, what sort of things have you observed and then written about that you think have been enlightening or particularly enlightening for buyers? Um, I think, I suppose the classic is how much things go over reserve or supposedly over mm. reserve. I think um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, an agent doesn't have to disclose the reserve in New South Wales and so sometimes they will choose to disclose it and sometimes they won't to a journalist. And when they do disclose it, do you believe them all the time? Well, I think that's where a journalist has to put on their homework hat and um, just see whether they feel that that actually was really a, the a, a, yeah, mm. a, a price that would, um, it would have been sensible. I think there was a period there a couple of years ago where things were moving so radically that there was a hundred thousand over reserve and two hundred and three hundred, and I would sometimes get an agent call me on a Saturday afternoon and say, "Oh, I've had a cracker of an auction. She went a hundred grand over," and I'd say, oh, "I'm sorry, that's not enough. I've got one here that was five hundred over. <laughs> I've got one that was um, six hundred over. Yeah. I was reporting on things going a million over mm, reserve, yeah, yeah, or the supposed reserve. Yeah, so then and a hundred grand doesn't come into the equation. <laughs> sorry, mate." 
<laughs> but then, then there's the question, well, how realistic was the reserve in the first place? Sure. And, and, and how honest was the agent in telling you what the reserve was? Because that, that becomes a problem because if they've quoted a certain figure, yes. say for argument's sake, a million dollars, that means if they're quoting a million current rules in New South Wales, and there's somewhat similar rules across the country. Sure. You know, 1 to 1.1 is what they put on their agency agreement. It sells to 1.3. They can't go running around saying it sold 100 over reserve because that missed reserve was 1.2, which is well and truly over what they were quoting. At what point, agent, did Mr Vendor or Mrs Vendor tell you that they were expecting 1.2 and not Mm. 1.1? Do you know what I mean? It's a messy conversation, isn't it? And the reserve can change Mm. in in the whole process. In the auction. Yeah, Yeah. within the auction it can change. So, and I don't think, I think a lot of buyers don't realise that. Um, So, yeah, it, it is a bit of a... Murky, murky territory, I suppose. But what it does at the end of the day, I suppose the exact dollars are not that significant. But what it just means is, is that this suburb is going off, going off at the <laughs> moment. And whether that be a hundred over, a hundred and fifty mm. over, every property is different and every auction is different. So the exact numbers probably don't matter that much. But it's just an indication of what's happening on that turf mm. at that moment. And that's the best we can do as journalists is we have to take. Um, their word for it. And, and sometimes I've had agents say to me, well, um, I don't think I want to tell you what the reserve was because everyone's going to think I underquoted. Yeah, yeah. So they actually become afraid when things get hot mm. because they thought it was. And some of them I know genuinely thought it was going yeah. to go for a million. Yeah. And it went for 1.3. Mm. They can't lift their jaw off the ground. Yeah. They're just as surprised as the rest of us. And that is really difficult, isn't it? Because there's there's so much that goes on underneath Sure. And and trying to report on that and I know myself when I was selling that I was always re- reluctant to tell an, uh, a journalist the reserve because then you felt like you have to explain how that reserve came, came about. To be. Mm. And and I know myself that, that I often encourage my clients, my vendors, to put their reserve up to protect themselves. You know, I knew where they were going to sell, but my job is to get was you know back then to get yes. the most amount of pro- uh, most the biggest price for them, and so there's a trust issue and there's a certain relationship that some agents will have with their vendors where the reserves are high. Yeah, for that reason, I know that the real reserve mm. push come to shove is a, is a lower figure, but I want them to know that I'm working at you know current tense for past tense activity. Yes, and and certainly we've interviewed a lot of agents in in here about that as well, and they've had very similar types of stories. And then there's other agents that spend the whole time bashing, you know, vendor bashing, which is a term, believe it or not, oh. where they really do work on getting that vendor's expectation down, so that's an easy sale at auction time. And so that reserve is going to be a hell of a lot lower. Yeah, I mean, it always makes me, I always laugh because it always makes me think about one guy selling his house. It was all over the news, and he said, "There's no reserve." Mm-hmm. And um, I had a, one that was a dollar. A dollar, that yeah. probably the same one. Yeah, yeah. I read and, about um, that. Yeah. It was like an eBay. Like I'm buying a shirt and there's no reserve, mm. so it'll go for a cheap price. Did you cover um, that one? I did. Yeah. Well, the one dollar one. Yeah. Uh, it was in a was that middle Melbourne somewhere. Middle no, that, ring? no, well, maybe there was one in Sydney Tim and Gabby it was or somewhere, wasn't it? It was in the middle ring. Yeah, right. yeah. It was slightly it was western three, suburbs. Mm. I can't remember exactly, mm. but it was at a time when things were going nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And so, of course, <laughs> people were saying, well, it doesn't really matter. That just goes to show that at the moment a house is going to, the auction process will give you what the demand is. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Whether you say that your reserve is $1 or $1 million, if enough people want to buy that house, it will sell for what the demand is. Yeah. 
it's not going to sell for less because the reserve is low. It's going to sell for what everyone wants to pay for it. That's right. So if, he, if you're so over-reserve and it sold for a million dollars, then it sold for a million dollars over that's the what reserve. People are, that's what at least two or three people were prepared to pay for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On the flip side of that is when people bang on about, oh, you've got to buy under market value. I'm like, well, it's not under market value. That is market value because you, as the only person that bought the thing, actually paid that, which makes it market value. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the it's flip like side when is true, right? Uninitiated buyers say, oh, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to buy at auction. I'm not going to mm. buy at auction because if things, it's more expensive to buy at auction. Well, no, it's actually a very transparent process. And it is what it is. We're not buying a fridge here. We're buying a house and unfortunately it's about supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so sometimes when the supply is low and the demand is high, you do pay more by going to auction. Yes. No. Well, you can. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and in the flip side, when there's lots of supply and very little demand, don't be making pre-auction offers, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go to auction. You're going to get it at a better price by going to auction. Yeah. So you've written for lots of different publications and they've all got lots of different readers. For each individual paper, do you write to a different demographic? You Sometimes. So there are definitely some that are for a younger audience, the millennials or younger, and so they don't want to know about um, self-managed super funds. They probably should know about <laughs> that, but they don't click on it mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or they don't want to read about that. So, yeah, you do have to adapt to who the and audience is. And like in the paper the world, like in the Daily Telegraph to Australia and – yeah. Etc. Like obviously your reader base is a different well, demographic. Well, yeah. So sometimes you want to stick to just Sydney. Yeah. Or um, the Daily Telegraph, for example, has a large readership in the western suburbs. Mm-hmm. So whereas for the Wentworth Courier, I would be obviously writing about Bondi Beach and mm. and um, Bellevue Hill and all the fancy houses yep. there. But when I was working for the Daily Telegraph specifically, they want to know what grassroots Australia is. So it's middle ring Western Sydney. And, and houses there. They weren't too interested in what was happening in Vaucluse. No, fair enough. So you have to think about <laughs> who, who your readers are definitely. Yeah, because I find that sometimes with articles that, you know, it's the first thing is you should be finding out well, where is it actually written because, you know, that mm, article yes. has to be targeted to that reader base. Well, yes. And so yeah. if you're not that reader base, then. Well, you, you know, should be, yeah, you should be reading what. It should be, it so should be setting you. off alarm bells saying, well, is this really relevant to me or is this targeted to them yes. like second questioning who's this article kind of really written for and I think that gives you a lot of can either give you a lot of positive view well actually maybe it's true or maybe it's not and sure um yeah I because you know end of the day if, if you're reading the Australian you're expecting the articles to be relevant to me if that's you or sure and I think that that's a just with journalism I think that's a mistake we can all make Slight, yes. slightly different direction here has there any ever been anybody that wanted to be interviewed that you've refused to interview? Um, yeah, look, there there are some individuals and some companies, uh, certainly a period of time when there were a lot of people that would fly you to Queensland to buy real estate um, and they would sort of bombard the journalists with, oh, look at this, you get to stay in a hotel because um, you will buy some property on the Gold Coast. And, you know, anyone who knew the Gold Coast at that time, a couple of years ago, you, you did not want to be buying real estate on the Gold Coast, mm. even if you gave me a free helicopter ride or, or what have you. Um, People so offering to, you flights to Hobart at the moment? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> that, no, I'd, yeah, I'd have to wait till summer till I went there. Yeah. A bit cold. No, <laughs> yeah, and, Where are people trying to send you to now? Are still to the Gold Coast? <laughs> yeah, actually, there are a few, still a few offers to southeast Queensland. Um mm. 
Look, and and then there are some people that sort of make a name for themselves as being sort of investor gurus and that they have X amount of properties and um, they do tend to pop up on, you know, every few months in different mm. publications as they have this many properties and this yeah. is how I did it or I'm, I've got so many properties and I'm under 30 and mm. this is how I did it. And so then when you dig down, you realise that their business is sort of selling um, some kind of a system. box of DVDs or a oh, system yeah. or, or yeah. Some, a get-rich-quick scheme mm. kind of. And so you think, well, those are the types of people that I that have to have a very good reason for me to want to yeah. to write about them because inevitably they've been written about before elsewhere. So what new did what's mm. new? Well, you have well, it's a, always the same story. What's well, you have too, you have it? now you have you have fifty two properties instead of the fifty properties you had last year. So why am I writing about you mm. now? Why, why do you want to be interviewed again? Well, there's a good angle though. Why are fifty important. I mean, really, mm. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather own five or two or one even yes. fantastic property than 50 awful, terrible, slumlordy type properties that may or may not be actually delivering any growth, yeah. may give you a bit of yield, but are probably a nightmare to manage. Sounds impressive. Well, it, it makes yeah, a good headline mm. and people click on it. But I think what's interesting when those sorts of st- stories run, read the comments underneath. Oh, really? If yeah. they've been opened up because you will have dozens and dozens of people, some who have personally been through some sort of a wow. schooling or whatever from those yeah. people and some yeah. people that have been damaged by it or people that see through it. They yeah. say, oh, well, so-and-so, he might have 27 properties, but he doesn't own any of them or mm. he, he he's paying in interest only. He's, he's mm. you know, it's a flawed strategy. Yeah. And so people see through that. Well, that's heartening because, I mean, I guess I don't read that stuff and so therefore. Reading I... the comments is, is kind of good, oh, extra yeah. extra homework. There's yeah. a tip. Yeah, so maybe it's not so much about the views, but I know there's there is a few serial offenders in the property world that, you know, you're right. Yes. You know, next thing you know, they're up the top of a news outlet again. And it's like yes. this story has been shown four or five times in the last five years. And then behind that, mm. there's, and I it's always. Google it and you're going to yeah. find they yeah. keep popping up with and the same headline, right? It's yeah. always a great story what they've done over sure. that period. But like they might have done that from, say, 2007 till 2012. Yeah. And what the market did between 2007 and 2012 what the banks were lending between mm, 2007 and yes, 2012, yeah. what the world was like between 2007 and 2012. Sure. <laughs> um, that got them from here to here. Now, yeah. And they, they might have had the first own, uh, homeowners grant to get started. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, it was a very different world then. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, there's always a, there's a famous developer that daddy helped him out first and he came from nothing and then now he's a big developer and sure. that didn't go down too well. But um, you're right, But that's the thing. Like What they did in the last five years, it's now 2012 to 2017. It's completely different. Mm. So, and they're trying to apply what worked for them over that. Yeah, they're selling the story of what worked for them over that five-year yeah. period, and they're like, "Well, it worked for me." Well, we can't go back to two thousand and seven. We it's two thousand and eighteen now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what a lot of problem with these these people who say it's worked for me. This is what I did. Mm. Yeah. It's well, that's the past. Just yeah. Because it's worked for you doesn't mean that's going to work for the future. And also, it's how do you measure whether or not it's working or not? And that's the thing. If you if you owe everything and you've got really poor quality assets, has it really worked? Is it really going to deliver you financial freedom? There's people that tell you that they retire 
at 27 or whatever, and then you realise they haven't actually retired. No, because they're starting a business spooking what they did. So they haven't retired (laughs) because they're calling up a newspaper every six months going, can you write a story about me? Yeah. Because they want to sell a book. I know, these are garbage and it really does my head in. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Okay, Kirsten, please give us an example of a property dumbo. We can all learn what not to do from these stories. For first home buyers, they need to understand how quickly things can change mm. because I think uh, they sort of rest on their laurels and think, ah, uh, well, if they did, if that person did that, then I will be able to do that too. And it, it things can change so quickly. Mm. Uh, I uh, remember interviewing a couple who wanted to buy in um, Surrey Hills area. They they were renting and wanted to buy in that area, uh, but they wanted a dream house. They, they wanted a ha- house because that's where they wanted they wanted to eventually get married, have children, and have a house and live in a great lifestyle suburb close to everything. Don't we all? Yeah. Well, I think maybe the, the Dumbo might be, it sounds a bit sad to say don't have the Australian dream just yet. Mm. But I think it, especially if you want to own and live in a place like Sydney and I suppose in, in Melbourne in some respects, you can't expect to have the dream straight up. So this couple thought about it and thought about it and were saving money and had I think about a hundred grand or something about five years ago. And they wanted a house. And I said, why don't you think about getting into an apartment? Oh, no, no, because just we want a house. I want to put lovely furniture in it and I want a yard and we'll have a kid one day. Okay. I crunched the numbers and um, about uh, five years ago, an apartment in Surrey Hills was $550,000. Okay. So they could have got Mm. into that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And um, now an apartment is worth about 875 so that's some nice earnings in you're five just years. You're looking at the median there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am looking at the median, and I suppose this is where people but they could might have done better than the median. Well, it's going to illustrate Definitely. the story perfectly. I, I so know where you're going with this. This is great, Dumbo. Yeah. yeah. So a median, I suppose, is and and the media is often um, dumped on for using medians, but it's the best we can do. Yeah. We yeah. can't talk about every single street or yeah. every corner. So yeah, I, I, um, from five fifty, if if they'd bought five years ago, to eight hundred and seventy five. And they could sell now and think about buying a house. They would have built up equity. Yep. Um, at the time, a house was 922000 so it was probably slightly out of their uh, affordability at mm. the time. It sounds like a lot of money now. It sounded like a lot of money then. Mm. But guess what? A house in Surrey Hills right now, $1.7 Yeah, That's what you're looking at in five years It's um, and surrounding suburbs. Now, So uh, is your message here that they didn't buy because they couldn't Picture themselves owning an apartment. They really had this, this fixed idea yes. in their head that it had to be a house. Yes. So they were madly saving to try to buy the aspirational house. Yeah. They couldn't keep up with the market in terms of their savings. So instead of buying an apartment and letting leverage and actual capital growth um, take uh, mm. and compounding, the, the power of compounding, compounding work interest, for yeah. them. Absolutely. And then they would be in a better position with a load more equity way more than they could possibly have saved in that time, then they could actually then leapfrog into a house at some future point. Yes. They've done nothing. They're still renting and they might now have 
150 grand in the bank. <laughs> yes, well, you've explained it much better than I did. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, absolutely. Mm. Um, I, I think what's interesting is, is that people think if I save, and this came from our baby boomer parents mm. or grandparents, depending on how old you are, that if you save, save, save and put your money in the bank in a safe spot, you will, you will get ahead. Mm. It doesn't work like that anymore. And um, you, the money that you put, if you put $100,000 in a bank account for five years, especially in recent years where interest rates have been incredibly low, 50-year lows or however long now, mm. um, you're not going to make anywhere near the kind of money. If you'd bought an apartment, you'd bought a clever apartment in mm. a neighbourhood like the Surrey Hills or Darlinghurst or, or in inner city, the Balmains, like you work in, you, you would make more than the two-point whatever percent you're likely 2.4 if you're lucky or mm. 2.5 if you're yeah, lucky you're 1. yeah you're 1.9 something mm. that you you would make you can't save you can't save at the rate that a piece of real estate would have made you in that time yeah. now obviously well, that, there's inflation too so well inflation is what normally around what about two, four four percent or something uh, is yeah. it is that the normal sort of inflation? Uh, tell two us, to Chris. Three, yeah two to three yeah i guess what i i, I do agree with what you're saying and this is a really good uh, and i think there's a lot of people who do do this where they Sit on their hands and they go, oh, wait, 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 wait. And then they just keep it's waiting. It's the opposite to FOMO. Yeah. I was trying to think mm. of an acronym. It's the opposite yeah. to the fear of missing out. It's the, or they fear read <laughs> and they read the media, and this has come back to the media. Yeah. They, they read something like, um, what's his name? Harry Dent, or someone says that <laughs> someone flies in from America. Yes. Yep. And gives it and gives a talk in three different cities saying that the market's going to crash by 30%. Mm. And then they get back on a plane and go back to America. Yep. Yeah. And they've done that every year for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Market's going to crash. The market's going to crash. But anyway, or a UBS report. But um, yes, yeah, so it is really it is sad. And so isn't people it? hold and they wait and they and and this particular couple said, well, I think there's a bubble, so we'll just yeah. wait. Yeah, we, yep. until we have a dream property. And I suppose it's maybe it's me because I'm talking about property every day, but. Property doesn't have to just be about the Australian dream and your lifestyle, although most people think of it that way. It can be a tool. Mm. It can be yes. a tool to to having something else. Now, perfect example, I think people people will want to buy for the life they want, not the life they have. Mm. And <laughs> I love it. That's a great, great line. Yeah. I think that's a perfect example of of someone in that situation. Instead of assuming that they are going for that dream and saving furiously is to see a financial planner or talk to someone mm. who will be able to, or a mortgage broker. I think a lot of couples, they don't want to go, or, or individuals, don't want to go to a mortgage broker until they're ready to buy. Mm. And so I think that's a big mistake. That's a bit of a Dumbo move as well because yeah. mm. you need to know, you need to have a one, two, five-year plan mm. if you want to get into to property, yep. especially if if you're in a big city where it's expensive and it's a massive chunk of your income, uh, is to just speak to someone who knows what they're talking about, yeah. who can say to you, all right, well, you've got this amount of money. If you can get up to this amount, then we can start talking about. And, and lending has changed. I think you just can't assume that you'll get the same amount of money that your cousin got last yep. year because then you're not going to get the same amount of money. Everyone's salary is different. Lending has changed. So It's actually worse to go to a someone when you know what you want to do. Um, I mean, I just think about an email I got from a new client on the weekend and he's like, Chris, I found a place. I want to buy it. Um, you know, I want to put an offer in at 8.15 and I wrote straight back on Monday morning and said, we need to chat. Yes. And, you know, it wasn't a great investment. It was an apartment in 
suburb, you know, where there's lots of other apartments and things like sure. that. But he'd come to me and now he's got the property. Now, if I hadn't taken, like, he's already ready to go. Like, mm. and if you go to a broker or some people and you go there, I'm ready to do this. Sometimes professionals won't stop you and say that's not a good idea. When they should. And yeah. so what you're saying is the right thing. Go very early on in your journey, yeah. way before as you're willing you to buy. As soon as you start thinking. And, and start to educate just develop. Yourself. Yeah, and yeah. educate yourself. Because by the time you get there and you walk in somewhere and saying, this is what I'm thinking of doing, unfortunately too many professionals will just facilitate it. Well, and not just and that, but you it's the consistency bias. So I've already taken all these steps yeah. towards buying this property. Then I, I I want to continue in my mind. I want to continue behaving in this mm. in the way in the way that I've been behaving. And so you you're committed to a path. You you know you're in this. You're and already, someone tells you you can't do that or that's not going to happen oh, for five years. You're absolutely devastated. Yeah. Whereas if you start in the beginning and you get yeah. a realistic path mm. towards what towards your goals then you you might be a little bit disappointed at the start if it's going to take another year or two, but not as devastated as when you walk in going, I'm going to an auction tomorrow and I want to buy this. Help me. Yep. Yeah, yep. very yep. true. Yeah, good advice. Thank you. Person, that's been a really interesting conversation. I wonder if it has been what you expected. Um, no, I guess. Well, <laughs> I um, yeah, I'm used to asking the questions, so <laughs> it's yes. always a bit different. <laughs> Um, but no, I've had a good time. Thank you very much. It's Thank been you, a pleasure for, for it. taking um, taking it easy on me. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you've always taken it easy on me. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, guys. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is. Well, Kirsten mentioned a number of times throughout our interview the importance of researching and doing your own research. So, obviously, as a property journalist, she does research. And I thought that was a great tip that she gave about reading online articles and actually clicking on the links that are referred to in those articles and really tracing back to where that information came from. I think that's a really great tip. But my big one here is that person also talked about before you are ready to buy, getting good advice. And I can say that there are five areas that I believe every property buyer should be getting good advice. So Number one, accountant, and please, Chris, feel free to chime in here. You need to get good tax advice and you also need to get the structuring right. And a good accountant will understand enough about property to be able to give you advice in this space. Now, you have to understand that some accountants actually know nothing about property. So be very careful and and ask some good questions here. One of the reasons it's important is because if you don't get your tax structures right and this particular property you're buying now, for instance, might one day become an investment property, then if you don't set yourself up right at the outset, you really back yourself into a corner for the future. So good accounting advice is number one. As long as you don't get sold a family trust if you don't need it. Ah, yes, exactly right. (laughs) Don't get (laughs) over-engineered. Secondly, a broker. So this is right up Chris's alley, of course, but a good mortgage broker and Kirsten mentioned this as well, getting advice from a broker well and surely before you are ready to buy so that you do also understand about loan structures. That's something that's really important, but also what is going to impact on your borrowing capacity? You know, Chris, in, in previous episodes, you've talked about people's spending habits and their, and their own personal budgeting, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, that's one, pregnancy, you know, kids in the future, lots of different things, change of job, change of structure, moving to a self-employed, then employed. There's lots of things that you might do in the future that could completely harm your borrowing capacity. So thinking well ahead is a good idea. 
Absolutely. So that's the second one. The third one is a financial planner. Now, financial planners, I've been researching lately, oh, a big bugbear with me because the majority, and I mean the vast majority of financial planners in this country will not talk about or cannot talk about property to their clients. And the thing is that they don't regard property as a financial product. Now, I'll let that sink in for a bit because the implications of you buying the wrong property are vastly greater and potentially much more detrimental to your financial future than really anything else you could spend your money on or invest in. Would you agree, Chris? Financial advisors just generally long-term haven't got anywhere near property and it's almost a disincentive for them to talk about it because it might mean that they've got less money for financial advisors to manage. They can't charge you ongoing fees on a property. There's lots of reasons why financial advisors are purposely avoided talking about property. And it really, if you look at the vast wealth in Australia, it is in property. So going to financial planners who don't talk to you about property, just go to another one. They need to talk to you about it. Absolutely. So fundamentally, what you need is an independent financial planner, one who is not being paid commissions for selling product or a percentage for whatever funds you have under management. So that's really important. But the benefit of getting a financial planner is that you can start to think about your long-term life goals and you can start to actually put in place some plans around you getting to where you want to be long-term. And I think that that's really important and we should be able to get good advice in this space. So that's number three. Number four, a lawyer. Now, when you are buying a property, we're getting a bit closer to the point of actually buying a property here when a lawyer is involved and needed, but it is important that you get a lawyer who specialises in property. Now, conveyances also exist and conveyances by their very nature only work in property transactions. And you have to be careful there as well, because sometimes there can be issues that a conveyancer can't help you with that a lawyer can. We talked about this specifically when we interviewed Rena Van Alst. And we talked about the importance of getting a property specialist that understands the type of property that you are buying. Really, really super important because just because somebody's a lawyer doesn't actually automatically mean that they understand property and the contracts and all the pitfalls that can happen. And just remember, don't fall for price. You know, if, if a conveyance is often all included for 880 or 990 and their pitch is volume and cheap and cheerful, please avoid those type of conveyances. Really, if they're going to do it at that price, they've got juniors looking at it, they're talking about volume, they're looking at lots of contracts, they're not going to provide you that real service that a local kind of conveyancer that's focused on quality service and maybe charges you a bit more. And number five, a buyer's agent. Now, I tell you what, you're probably all thinking, oh, yeah, here she goes. <laughs> of course, she's going to say you need to get advice from a buyer's agent. You have to be careful here because, unfortunately, not all buyer's agents are much chop. And I know it's a bit shocking for me to say this, but in recent years, it's been too easy to become a buyer's agent. And unfortunately, that means that the barrier to entry has been too low. So you are not necessarily going to be getting good advice from every buyer's agent that you talk to. So you do have to be very careful in who you engage with. Now, a good one absolutely is essential as part of your advisory team. So how do you choose a good one? Well, I'll put some resources in the show notes for you. But look, really and truly, what you're after is somebody who understands their limits. You know, the real litmus test of a good advisor is somebody who says to you, you know what, that is 
beyond my capability and I want to point you in the direction of somebody who can help you. And when you're dealing with a buyer's agent, some are purely focused on helping investors. They have their own data houses and they're really about finding you the next hotspot. Well, you've got to be careful of them because if they're not looking at that as part of a whole plan and saying, well, we're going to get you into a hotspot and then we're also going to advise you when to exit that hotspot, then be very careful. If you've got a buyer's agent that wants to buy in a city that they're not actually residing in or they don't actually have their office in, be very careful. You need to get good local advice. And if you've got somebody that's only pushing one barrow and they're not prepared to talk to you about other alternatives, then be very careful once again and look at somebody who can give you a bigger picture in terms of the advice that they're giving. So they're just five areas that I recommend you explore before you go out looking for property. I mean, please remember as well, if they're probably pushing new property over old property, it's the biggest warning sign going around. So if they're pushing new property, probably they're not a buyer's agent. They're more of a property seller for a developer. Good point, actually. Who is the buyer's agent being paid by? If they're not being paid by you, that means they're not working for you. Please tune in for our next episode when we interviewed Kate Bacos, a Melbourne-based buyer's agent. Now, Kate gives us the inside scoop on best places to buy in Melbourne, best types of property, but also we talk about Geelong and Ballarat. It's our first interview with a Melbourneian and there will be more to follow, but this is a great one to kick off with. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded and edited by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.